Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. When I was a kid, there was something that was really appealing, intriguing to me, and that was this, his name, um, it's what he did. His name was Ron. He married Marlene, this, uh, um, the daughter of the terraces down the street. And Ron, to me, was this heroic guy because he was in the military and um, Ron was a Marine. And I just thought, I'm probably at that time, I'm probably five, six, maybe seven years old. And man, to, to get a chance to talk to Ron, the Marine, very cool, you know. And so I can remember even as a little kid doing push-ups and telling Ron how many push-ups I could do. And I asked him, how many push-ups does a Marine have to be able to do? And it was like 2,000, you know, something like that. So talking to Ron and learning about what he did, he gave me a, uh, one of his, his you know, Marine-issued blankets. It was this camouflage um, nylon blanket. And man, I just thought, this is, I slept with that thing I mean, I took it to church, you know. I mean, this thing is the coolest. This is a Marine-issued blanket, and I have this. My parents got me this little, um, you know, Marine, uh, I don't know, a shirt, I guess. It was this, you know, that canvasy kind of, of material, and, and it had the Marine patches on it. I wore it to my school, Lincoln Elementary School, on show-and-tell day, you know. Told people I'm a real Marine, you know, so I'm just so intrigued by by this guy and his inspiration that I wanted to be like Ron and I remember it became a little more sobering when I was not a lot older but this would have been the early 70s and one of the ladies husbands in our church was killed in Vietnam and I can remember that this was such a major event in our church and, and at that point in my life, I'd never been to a funeral, and I didn't attend that one. But I can remember my mom, mom and dad, talking about this funeral service for this man that was killed in Vietnam. And the, the, you know, the romanticism for me as a kid regarding the military became somewhat sobering. It lost that pure thrill of because something just got very real regarding what it is that soldiers do. Now there's a passage of scripture that we're going to look at and you sang tonight, the student group sang about the cause. The cause, you remember that, that David, just this kid goes out, he's not a trained soldier, but he goes out to, to check on and get news about the battle and, and his brothers give him a bit of a hard time, probably embarrassed that they're not doing anything themselves about the battle. And, um, you know, they, they ask him, who'd you leave those few sheep with? And David, David turns from them. He says, is there not a cause? And he turns from them and he speaks to another. He says, hey, what are we going to do? Because the name of God is being blasphemed. There is a cause. Now, your Bibles are open right now to 2 Timothy chapter 2. It starts out, in, in fact, the beginning of the chapter says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing to the younger Timothy. 
And he has commissioned Timothy for a job. Timothy is representing Jesus Christ to this church at Ephesus. And, and Paul's saying, listen, there's no opportunity here for failure. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You have something in front of you, so come on now. This is no game. There's nothing just purely romantic about this. Timothy, be strong in the grace that you have in Christ Jesus. And then let's go down to verse number three. In verse number three, thou therefore endure hardness. How? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a, and then if you're looking at the scripture, you see that last word, who's chosen him to be a soldier. Now, I know he's speaking to Timothy, but I, I don't think we do any disservice in what we refer to as this pastoral epistle to look at this scripture more broadly and say, hey, would this fit someone like me? Would this fit someone just like us? Is this also speaking to people just like us? Are we also in this battle? Are we soldiers chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and I would submit to you, a, this, this does not take a lot of mental work to conclude. Listen, we are in a battle and we are also soldiers chosen by Jesus Christ. He, he, he lays it out in terms that I think are fairly straightforward. Sometimes I am guilty of, you know, dancing around the issue. But God the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. And the pen of the apostle Paul doesn't do that. Timothy doesn't come away from this passage wondering, I wonder what's going on or what is it that Paul's expecting? Notice again, the first thing that he says, that, Timothy, this is what you need to know. He just lays it right out there. He says, first of all, you are a soldier. So number one, the first thing that he says, you are a soldier. That means if we're going to extrapolate something from that, okay, you are a soldier. That means you have a duty. Soldiers have a duty. There is this, this also concurrent responsibility if I'm a soldier. Now, if I'm not a soldier, then I, I obviously I don't have to answer the call of a soldier. I don't have a captain, so to speak, to answer to. But if I'm a soldier, and we are, then we also conclude there is a, a, a duty that goes along with this, a parallel responsibility. He says it, you know, fairly straightforward. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. What's my duty? Well, part of that duty, because he doesn't want to build these false expectations, part of that duty is to say there's going to be some challenging, difficult, even disagreeable things that are going to be part of my responsibility as a soldier. The guy's name is Hugo Grotius. He, he lived in the late 1500s, early 1600s, and he wrote on the law of war and peace. Really what he's establishing at an early time, he was a, he was a, 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 a doctor of the law, and so he's writing about the rules of war. Basically, in his work, if we wanted to summarize some things, he says, he says soldiers are not allowed to marry, 
to engage in any husbandry or trade. They're forbidden to act as tutors to any person, curators to any man's estate, proctors in the cause of other men. The general principle was that they were excluded from those relations, agencies, and engagements, which was thought would divert their minds from that which was to be the sole object of their pursuit. In, in Paul's day, in Timothy's day, when you start to think about the Roman soldier, the Roman soldier was expected to keep one thing in his sights and one only, the service of the commander. He also was not allowed to marry, nor could he engage in agriculture, trade, or manufacture. He was a soldier and he could not be anything else. Do you know, I am not advocating, so please don't be confused about this. I'm not advocating that, hey, listen, as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we can't engage in life. Uh, we can't be married. We can't have jobs. We can't go to, I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is a soldier does know I have a primary duty. Something that overshadows, that is more important than anything else. And that is, I, I'm going to have to understand there are responsibilities. I have a duty. During a time of war, the farmer leaves his plow, the mechanic leaves his shop, the merchant leaves his store, the doctor leaves his practice. Why? Well, because they are soldiers. And so it should be meaningful to us that God is painting an important picture for us that we know clearly what to expect. Hey, listen, you are a soldier. That means you have a duty. And you know, part of that duty is gonna be, this is not going to be easy, but this is something to which we are called. Expectations matter. They, they help us because if we have an accurate expectation about what's in front of us, we start to process with knowledge as opposed to a false expectation. And you know, I appreciate the fact that God in his wisdom says to people like us, hey, listen, you're going to have to endure hardness, difficulty, opposition, challenge. Why? Because that's what soldiers do. Some become a bit exasperated when things become difficult. We start to say things like, I mean, seriously, haven't you ever gone back and, and said to your, your wife after a day of work, man, I got treated really poorly today. Have you ever gone back to a friend and said, man, this was difficult. My, my, you know, my boss did this today and this was what happened. And this was, have you ever gone to someone else and said, my friend said this about me to someone and we start to bemoan the fact that this is difficult and sometimes life is not easy. I mean, how many times even this week, just scanning the headlines, did I start to look at people who in a sense said, I'm, I don't know if I can process anymore. I don't know if I can go forward anymore because this is difficult. God's not painting some unrealistic picture about the fact that life can be difficult as a soldier. We would be dishonest if we said, if you're walking with God, living with him, doing what he wants you to do, your life is really going to be some kind of a primrose path. That just wouldn't be an honest expectation. There are difficulties in battle. There are difficulties in war. Warfare is never easy. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse number five, he's helping us understand some things regarding, in a sense, expectation. He says it this way, if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, 
how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? He's saying this, he's saying, hey, listen, if you're having a hard time with a footman, you're really going to have time because there are some horsemen waiting. And if you're having a hard time right now in the land of peace, what are you going to do when some catastrophe comes knocking on your door? God in his goodness lays an honest picture for us and and we would be dishonest if we didn't just say, do you know at times in the battle, in the warfare, it can be difficult because that is the duty of someone fighting a battle bigger than themselves. You know, the first thing that we see here is you're a soldier, so you have a duty. The second thing that we see as we walk through this passage is you are in a battle, there should be some detachment. Now we've touched on that already, but, but notice the passage of scripture. If we go a little bit further, verse number four, he says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Okay, I don't want to get all embroiled in. In fact, the word entangled, it carries the idea of braided. Like these are all intertwined now. They're all looped together. He says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. There is to be some natural detachment. I haven't told this story for a long time. In fact, it is, it's probably been close to 20 years since I've told it here at, at Campus Church. But this story stands out in my mind because it was vivid for me. And I don't want the story to overtake the message, but this story, it, it clarified some things in my mind regarding this idea of detachment. Several years ago, I had a friend here I was, I was youth pastor at Campus Church. His name was Dan Hirschberger. Dan Hirschberger grew up on the outback, okay? He, this guy, he was an outdoorsman, okay? So Dan knew about hunting, fishing. Dan is the kind of guy, I saw him fishing one time on the shore of the ocean, on the beach, okay? And Dan's out there and he's, he's got this pole and he's throwing out and he's reeling in and, and all of a sudden he's reeling in and he stops and he looks down the, the way and he looks, says, birds, you know, and he's, you know, he's running down the shore and, and he jumps in there and he runs into the water and he's throwing and, and what he's doing is he's tracking the birds because I guess the birds, you know, were, were after the fish. And so Dan just knew he had this, you know, this sense of the outdoors and fishing. So Dan invited me to go fishing one morning. And he also invited another friend of mine, good friend of mine, whose name is Matt Beamer. And so Dan and Matt and I all got in his little Chevy Love pickup truck, okay? All in there, only one seat, all in the front. And um, so, and I'm sitting in the middle between these two bigger guys. And um, we go, first of all, to get bait. And we go, we're leaving at 5.30 in the morning, which is not a great, I don't care if the fish are up then or not. I don't want to be up at that time. So, you know, we go at 5.30 in the morning and we stopped and we bought bait. Now, I had never been at that time fishing in saltwater. Okay, so I'd never been, I'd always done only freshwater fishing. And this was Matt Beamer's first time to ever fish. Never fished before. And we're going to go fishing off the bridge, off the uh, fishing pier, which is no more. It's actually... It has, it has gone to fishing heaven, okay? So it's no more there. So we get up early, we go, we stop and we buy bait and we bought bait, quite honestly, that I would love to have caught, okay? These, they're cigar minnows, all right? So they're, they were large fish that we're going to put on the end of some major hook. The poles that he uses, okay? The fishing poles themselves, they're like little telephone poles. They're huge fishing poles. 
So you put the bait on. We got out to the place. There's lots of people already out on this fishing pier. Well, we get out there and we got our equipment. We're carrying our pole out, you know, and we got all our stuff. We put our, our, our big cigar minnow on the end of this monster hook. And then you kind of fling it out there like that. And there's a bunch of people all at the end of this fishing pier. There's a lot of it wide open, but apparently this is the, the, the lane that apparently the fish are supposed to come through. So here's what you do. You take that thing and you zing it out there. You know, you and then that fish would slap the water. And then you just reel it back in. And that's all. And you hear all kinds of people reeling it back in, you know, over and And we did that for the longest time. I'm like, man, I could be in bed, you know, reeling it in. And that's it. Okay, then all of a sudden, you saw one of those people's like telephone pole just bend, you know, so. And all of a sudden it just bends. And then you hear, you hear this, I don't know, I think it's Moby Dick or something. I mean, you hear this big thing taking off with this guy's bait. And he's just holding on. And the, the telephone pole is bent. You know, he's, oh! if you had skis on, you could have jumped out. and oh! You could have ridden that thing. So, you, so all of a sudden he's, and then you start seeing people's, you know, they start bending. And people are, I, they, there's big fish on there. Like, I'm excited. You know, not catching anything, okay? And then I heard something, and it, quite honestly, it startled me a little bit. So I heard somebody say the words, walk her down. Walk her down. And they, sh- they kind of shout it, you know? Like, walk her down! When, when somebody gets this fish on their hook, somebody's yelling, walk her down! I'm like, whoa, what is... Sounds like a good... Kind of the doors open, the bride appears, walk her down, you know, that kind of. I didn't know what it was for, but they, they shouted, walk her down. So I'm, I'm watching. Well, there, people are starting to yell this. You hear several people, hey, buddy, walk her down. And they're excited about this. Like, you know, this is kind of cool. And so I don't really understand. But what, what they're doing is they're telling people, because they have these big fish on the end of their, their telephone pole. And they're telling people to lift your rod up over all the other people. We're all standing here on the edge fishing, okay? Lift that up and go down to the end of the bridge where there's nobody else fishing. Because if you don't take your, your rod and reel, that line down, that fish is going to move around. And you're going to get tangled up in everybody else's you know, they're all of their stuff. So people are hollering, walk her down, you know. Well, these fish would come in waves. So that wave ends, people are down there and their, their telephone poles are still bent. You know, they're still wrestling with these fish. So we're, we're fishing again. And nothing, you know. And then the second wave of these fish hit. I'm very excited. I can't wait, I'm gonna catch me one of these things. And, and I didn't, okay. But Matt Beamer, he's got, all of a sudden he's there, you know, and Matt's doing it. He's never, he's never caught a fish before. First time fishing. His pole bends, it's like, and it just starts taking off. And he says, immediately, he says, what do I do? Matt is a monster guy. I mean, he's a big guy. He's like six, seven, okay? He's a big guy. He's in, all of a sudden, you know, you know. 
and it's taken off. He's like, what do I do? And we said, set it, set it. And he's like, okay, you know, you know like that. Sitting down. No, 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 Ab. Set it. And so he's, he starts to yank this thing. He's like, boom, boom. I could just picture that, that fish pouring. Whoa, you know. <laughs> Teeth come flying out, you know. <laughs> so Matt has this thing. And it's just taken off on him, just running. It almost spooled his, his reel, you know. It's just, it's just, just taken off. And he's, just, he's fighting with this thing. And then people start, you know, doing it. And I'm joining in now because you hear people, hey, buddy, walk her down. I'm like, yeah, walk her down, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting in the whole deal, the spirit of the thing. And, and Matt, you know, he's so big, he's just like, oh, here we go, you know. Walks down, he landed the fish. It, it was a 40 to 50 pound fish. First fish he's ever caught, okay? <laughs> Setting the bar kind of high right there. It, it took him about 45 minutes to land the fish, okay? It was a Jack Crevel. I called him Mr. Crevel, okay? And uh, it's a very large fish and Matt landed it and he did exactly what everybody said, walk her down. So he takes that thing, he walks down, he goes to where there's nobody else. Um, one guy in one of those waves, I never caught a fish that day. One guy catches a fish and people are saying, hey buddy, walk her down. And I can remember this guy's like, no, I'm gonna land her right here. And as soon as he said that, you heard other people say, hey, come on, man, walk her down. And he's like, I'm landing it right here. You know, and he stayed right there. And exactly the reason you are supposed to walk her down is, is what happened to him. So the fish starts moving. It's running in different directions. And lo and behold, that thing gets caught up in lots of people's line. And he didn't land the fish that he had intended to land. You say, why not? Well, quite frankly, because of a wrong detachment. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. You know, when you start to think about this idea of I'm in a battle, there's supposed to be some detachment and in war, everything else becomes secondary. There's no, no relationship no career, no friend, no desire that should hinder us from the primary job that we have of engaging in the battle. I'm not saying don't have relationships. Please don't think I'm not saying don't, don't have a career or friends or desires. But all of those are supposed to come underneath our chief desire. And that is to please him who hath called us to be a soldier. When you think about it, you are a soldier, you have a duty. You are in a battle, there should be some detachment. You have a captain, there is one first delight that he may please him. The main responsibility was to set aside his own will and absorb the will of the commander. In Psalm chapter 40, verse number eight, the psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, oh my God. It would be impossible for an army to accomplish the desires of their commander if they all acted with the primary goal of pleasing themselves. But when the soldier says, my first desire is to please him 
who hath chosen me to be a soldier. It is amazing how many things take their proper perspective in light of our first duty and our chief delight. In Colossians 1.17, it says, and he is before all things. And at the end of verse number 18 in Colossians 1, it says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Is he, is he like, no, he's, he's really pronounced. Or in all things, is he preeminent? You may have heard the name Sullivan Ballou. He was a major in the second Rhode Island Volunteers. A week before the Battle of Bull Run, he wrote a letter to his wife, Sarah, back in Smithfield. And here's what he said. Dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Unless I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I am no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how American civilization now leans on the triumph of this battle and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly to those chains to the battlefield. The memory of all the blissful moments I have enjoyed with you come crowding over my mind and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I've enjoyed them so long and how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes and future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together, see our boys grown up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I loved you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you, how thoughtless, how foolish I have sometimes been. But oh, Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they love, I shall always be with you in the brightest day and the darkest night, always, always. And when the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath or the cool air on your throbbing temple, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for me, for we shall meet again. Sullivan Ballou was killed a week later at the first battle of Bull Run. So the question is, why would a man so in love with his wife sacrifice that for love of country? I would submit to you that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. By God's grace, may we embrace the enlistment of soldier and may we seek to please him who hath called us to be the same.